Tonight's second reading is 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 33, which can be found on page two of your bulletins. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup, and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. This is the word of the Lord. God, thank you for this opportunity to uh, sit before a word that you have called living and active, that you have called a gospel good news. Lord, we need good news. Uh, We need life. And so come with your Holy Spirit and use these words for that purpose we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so way back in September, we started a study which we called Spiritual Practice. And uh, the idea was, especially in some traditions, and I'll say in Presbyterian Reformed traditions, it's easy just to kind of say, I need to get a body of knowledge up here, and then I need to believe it. Now, that's part of it. But, you know, God made you more than a giant bobblehead. Made you a person. And so spiritual formation actually happens with a wider view of practice. So we talked about the Word of God. We talked about prayer, communication. But sacraments get real physical, don't they? Nothing reminds us, especially when you get to this one, 
the Lord's table, where we're doing something that we do every day, something that's so vital to us, but something that has importance that goes beyond what we might ask or imagine. Now, most everybody here has uh, been part of a special meal sometime. Maybe while you were growing up, it was Sunday supper. Or maybe it was a holiday meal, Thanksgiving, or maybe a religious meal, whatever religion you come from. And we understand that those meals, it's not just the menu, right? It's the meaning. It's the meaning of the meal that gives it import. In fact, some meals tell a story, right? Think about a rehearsal dinner at a wedding, right? You go to that meal and it's just full of stories of the bride and groom. A key element of uh, the Bible's worship from the Hebrew scriptures all the way into the New Testament has always been, curiously, a meal, a means of grace. In the Old Testament, circumcision and Passover were a means by which God would impart his grace, and in the New Testament, baptism in this table. And you heard it read earlier. For thousands of years, Israel celebrated a meal that was reminding them that God is the great liberator. He had liberated them from actual, literal bondage in Egypt as chattel slaves, and he miraculously had set them free. And he said, I want you to celebrate a meal that reminds you of that because it's going to remind you of my heart and who I am. I'm a redeemer. I'm a redeemer. And then Jesus shows up, and to his uh, disciples' surprise, he hijacks, co-ops the meal, and puts himself at the center of it and says, actually, I'm the Passover lamb. I am the liberator, and he's liberating at a level that's much deeper. He's not just the liberating from the oppressor out there and the injustice out there, but the oppressor in here, the oppressor of my own sin and evil and selfishness. You know, that thing in my heart that I wish would go away, wish I could be free. You know, does anybody here want to be free from something? I mean, you don't have to be a person of faith to go, yeah, I wish I'd worry less. I wish I would get less bitter about stuff. I wish I could get less. That bondage. He came as a liberator for not only the guilt of that, but the bondage of it. And so the main course of this table is grace. It's grace of a redeemer. It always has been. And sometimes the way you act at a table shows whether or not you get what the table's about. So let me, let me uh, give you an imaginary what if. What if you were at a wedding reception? And at a lot of wedding receptions, you know, they serve the meal and then you've got that cake in the corner. There it is, that cake that's right. And... Uh, and you finish, and right, um, you're sitting with someone, and they go, man, I'm ready for dessert. Everybody goes, yeah, us too. And he goes, no, I'm serious. I'm ready for dessert. 
and he said, I'm going to go get a slice of cake. And someone goes, you can't do that. The bride and groom cut the cake. It's part of the, and they get up and they say, forget that. They go up and they cut the cake. Everybody gasps. The way they behaved at the table could probably tell you something about them, right? That's a pretty arrogant, selfish person, isn't it? The way they behaved. Well, at the Corinthian church, the way they were behaving around the table told a pretty ugly story about pride, division, arrogance. And we might look at it and go, you know, this passage, I've always heard it read. It's just, what is Paul getting all upset about? Okay, so if someone's eating a lot, what's the big deal? Does this really have to be in the Bible? It's because Paul immediately perceived that something fundamental and foundational about the grace of the gospel was way off. It was the difference between a grace-less table and a grace-full table. So as we're going to look at uh, the Lord's Supper over two weeks, but we're going to look at this first, right? A graceless table, a graceful table. So one of the names for this meal is communion. You know, you, you know, you know the word community, which means common unity. So communion means common unity. Union. Union is at the heart of the Christian good news, the gospel, this idea that God, unbelievable, God unites you to himself through his son. I mean, and not just like, a kind of like, hey, you're going to become one with me so I can energize you, so you can, no, I'm talking about like love. I will be your God. You will be like, like, a, like a groom and bride unite. I'm going to unite you that way. Common union. Common union. Communion with Christ. And of course, there's a big part of the passage that refers to this idea of, you know, you've got to be thinking about that as you're taking this table. But I will say, that tends to be, I know it's been my tendency, but in the American Western church, the sole focus, because we tend to see faith as my faith first. And so communion is basically a private experience. Like I walk up with other people and they're there, but it's mostly me kind of like wrestling with whether or not I'm going to excommunicate myself this week from the table. Don't do that, by the way. Sins need confessed, confess them. Relationships need reconciled, reconciled. The only, the only people that shouldn't come to the table are people under church discipline. Don't excommunicate yourself from the table. But there's something else Paul's getting at here. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. When, when Paul, body is used in two senses in this passage. First of all, body or blood or body and blood is shorthand for the life of Jesus. Life, the life-giving love of the Son of God. He gives himself for people. But there's another way body is used. And you know what it means. This is the body. Family of God. So when Paul says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, he's talking about this. He's talking about 
what are my attitudes toward the people I'm taking communion with? The people in this room, that's what he's getting at. So another what if. We have these things called community groups in our church. They're like groups of 12 to 15 or 20 people, and uh, they gather, and many of them will have meals together. In fact, Mike and I have been visiting community groups, and listen, don't feel like you have to feed me. But every time I've gone to a meal, I've been fed. It's really been, I mean, gone to a community group, I've been fed, and it's really been wonderful. We have a meal together. So imagine, here's a community group setting. It's made up of uh, interns, and people, staffers, and people that just come to D.C., people that aren't making a whole lot of money. And then also, in the, or sort of long-time D.C.ers that have established careers, some of them have some real cash, some good money, and they're all in a community group together. And one day, the staffers and interns are kind of hanging out together, and, and they say, um, well, man, you know, we, we're always late. No, I shouldn't say that. You guys are... I'm not saying that staffers and interns are always late to community group. But in, this is a big what if, right? This is a what if. Enter into it. And, uh, and so they say, listen, let's show up a few minutes early. It's probably fine. They show up a few minutes early. And lo and behold, the group of the other, they're having this like major feast. Like this really good meal. I mean, wine and you know, on the table. And, you know, it's kind of like, oh, you know, that awkwardness you feel. And you sort of like... Well, and you expect, right, you would expect, hey, hey, you know, so we do this once. Hey, come on and pull up, a, pull up a table, we've got this. But that didn't happen. There's this sort of like, hey, keep on going, right? And you see the group kind of moves over here, and they're like, huh. And it gets so bad, you know, one of the people with you just like pulls out a bag of airplane peanuts, right? And they're just, they're just eating. Now, if I told you that happened, in our church, I'm sure most of you would go, what? You're kidding me. That happened? Well, that's what happened in Corinth. And it was happening on a regular basis. I mean, in that day, those of status got better food portions. So you got all the people that are sort of like connected socially and doing well. And, and what's the scenario here? Okay, this was the age of the house church, right? The synagogues weren't where they were, but the house church. And in a house church, usually there was a worship service, and then oftentimes there would be a meal, like a community group, and then that meal would sometimes be called a love feast, and after that feast, they would go straight into what we call communion. And so, people show up, and it's not one common meal, it's like divided out. And then when you come up to communion, right, this is, a, this is the body, we're all one, Paul's like, you're not celebrating the Lord's Supper. I don't know what you're celebrating. But you got one person that's getting drunk, the other person doesn't have any food, and then you round it up by going, isn't this great that we're all one? Let's sing Kumbaya, let's take communion together. Now, in our church, well, let, let me just say, can you imagine the humiliation, the alienation, all the divisions that are present in society have come into the church. All that stuff you thought you'd be free of. All that stuff that makes you feel badly about yourself, falsely. Now it's, now it's in the grace place. It's at the grace table. So 
we can kind of feel good about ourselves because, you know, we're all here together. Different incomes, different race, different background, different education. We all come up together, and it'd be easy to kind of go, well, this ain't about us, I'm glad. But, you know, do we really think that we're sort of the sinless generation, right? Do we think that this has any app? Of course it does, right? And I think where it is, it, it may not be this table, but our other tables, right? So the question comes, like, I think the question that I got led to, I want to put it on you, is what does my social life look like? Does it tend to sort of rally around people of my age and stage or people of my race, people of my political persuasion, people that I'm with reinforce me in already who I am? And so, basically, what you have is a divided table. You have a graceless table. And what we're being told here is uh, discerning the body means that I have to take a look at that. Because this is, this is saying something beyond Sunday. Right? This is a sacrament that seals the gospel together with the body of Christ. It's not just for a few minutes here. It's talking about what does common unity look like in our church. That's what Paul is, does our table look like Jesus' table? You know, that would be a fun study in and of itself. Maybe we should do it sometime. All the tables that Jesus sat out. And the one he talks about, the great feast, that, right, where people will come from all different places. So, that's the graceless table. But let's talk about the graceful table. Now, just because, on one hand, I would say that manners mean something. I've had this discussion a lot with my wife because... Um, she has better manners than I do. And um, in fact, I may have told you guys this story before, but um, looks like we're okay on the clock, so I can slip this one in. It's good for a Presbyterian minister to extemporaneously do stuff every now and then, right? Not follow the script. But they're supposed to do it led by the Holy Spirit. You be the judge. Anyway, but the point is, uh, you know, uh, we got engaged, and Meg had never met my family. I don't recommend that. I think that was not a good idea. God showed us a lot of grace. We got engaged, we drove up to Pittsburgh, and once she got over the shock of my just table in general, just like, you know, everybody. Uh, my mom, who you know, sat down 10 minutes after all of us because she's getting the food together, you know, basically what happens, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but we sort of like, <laughs> you know, just as she's taking her first bite, hey mom, is there dessert? You know, she'd come back. My mom's not a wilting flower. If you knew her, she'll bowl you over. But she would just, like, kind of take it. And then, um, and then you know, she would, she would sit down. And basically, by the time she's sitting, we'd all go, hey, thanks, Mom. And so, you know, I'm starting to do that. Meg's at the table. I stand up, and I go, thanks, Mom. And she looks at me and goes, sit down. Not that mean. She just was like, Glenn. It introduced to me this idea of, yeah, you know, that's, that's really bad. <laughs> it's really bad. Manners can mean something, right? 
Like they ultimately sort of come out of this idea that I'm just not like gonna push in front of you or I'm not gonna just go, hey, can I have that? There's, there's something there, but you also got societies, right, where manners became just manners, right? They become the law by which I judge you. What I'm saying is you can have great manners and still have a heartless meal, heartless table. And so Paul isn't just saying have better manners here. He's trying to minister the gospel to the Corinthians, the pride, the self-sufficiency, the greed. So how does the table, how do we approach the table in a way where it, it's going to be full of grace? Let me give you three things, really two and a half things, because the last one is not that long. First one is come hungry. Come hungry. Have you ever prepared a meal? Maybe you're preparing a big meal, and you, you, know, you invite people ahead of time, and then you know, like two people show up, and you're like, here it is, and they go, oh, that's okay, I ate before I came. You know, you're sort of like, dang, man. You know, what do you mean you ate before you came? I've been like working on this thing, right? Well, it's possible to come to the Lord's table full. And that's full of ourselves, right? Full of self-sufficiency, full of pride, full of who I am out there. Coming in here. And uh, Jesus told a story, many of you know it. It's one of his table stories, parable. Parable of the two sons, right? We focus on a lot of different stuff. It's such a rich parable, rightly so. But let's not forget the last part, the table. So, right, the son that blows off his dad, lives in sin, comes home, the father just, the father, right, dresses him for the table, opens a bank account so he can have meals later on, and then has this giant feast for him. But the elder brother will not sit at the table. He won't come in. Jesus was saying, this is the difference between sinners and the religious self-righteous. The religious self-righteous are keeping tabs, going, you know, you lost your place at the table. You, you sinned your way out of the place at the table. The father is like, no. You know, infinite times to come to the table. I wish you would come in. And another time, Jesus was at a feast, and he stood up, and I'm sure everybody was like, what's going on? And he said, if anybody's thirsty, come to me. He also said that to a woman in Samaria, right? I'm the bread of heaven. Jesus is constantly talking about what? Hunger and thirst. Listen to Isaiah. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. The way this table remains a table of graces, each week you and I need to come hungry. Hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Aware of our, pure, our spiritual poverty. 
that we have failed, that we bring those things to the table just like the Corinthians do. And this is the beauty of it. You know, the, the only cover charge is your need. Right? And we come at different stages of need. That's why I was saying, you know, don't excommunicate yourself. It might be that you just need to stumble up here and taste a little bit of the cup and the bread. And it reminds you a little bit, I do need you, God. But we come hungry, and that's when the meal gets sweet. Because it tells the story of the Son of God who did everything that his life might come to you. The table uh, takes people that were alienated, and you hear the voice of God saying, you're now my forever children. You're always welcome at my table. Always. This is a reminder of that. Because during the week, many times, we, we don't feel like we're welcome at his table. You know, we're, we're operating that other way. It's like, well, yesterday was a bad day. I, don't, I think I'll like sit in the corner booth. Or, you know, we come to the table with like, feeling good about myself. We come hungry. Uh, those of you that have ever fasted or done intermi intermittent fasting, uh, you know, one of the things discovers is, is that there is a, um, a fasting clarity that comes. And this, this happens. So, you know, neurotransmitters, hormones released, and it gives you a clarity of mind, storage, and recall. Well, you're able to see differently. You have different vision. And so when you and I come hungry, fasting for the gospel, we see one another differently, right? We see this body differently. If I come full of myself, I look at it one way. If I come hungry and thirsty, I'm like, wow. Okay, second thing, eat well. Come hungry, eat well. That means to eat in faith. It's not just the fact that we're hungry, but that we're being fed. Paul reiterates the tradition. This is what the Lord said. This is my body given for you, plural. Take and eat. Take and eat. Take and drink. Take it in. Um, God wants his grace how much do you long to have his grace in your heart and soul? How much, how, how much do you long to be able to smell the aroma of God's grace in your life? He wants that too. That's why he's giving you something to eat and smell and touch and see. He wants you to know, I want my grace in you. I want you to believe it in such a way it is part of you and it's strengthening you take and eat. I gave myself for you. Don't take sea rations. Eat like someone who belongs at this table. Take it in. And the sign of that is like delight. I, I, the first time we ever practiced communion in this church um, was our gathering, our organizing service. This is 2005. And um, I had invited a couple ministers I know to kind of celebrate. It was our first worship service. Uh, one of them was a fellow uh, Presbyterian minister who wore a collar, you know, one of these 
things. And everybody thought it was so ecumenical. And said, Glenn, we thought it was wonderful you invited a priest to come to that. I was like, well, I, you know, I'm not opposed to that, but he's not a priest, actually. He's just, but his one comment afterward, and this guy is like, he's not a flatterer, and he says things very bluntly. Kara knows who this person is. I'd like to call him Matt Brown. I, well, I shouldn't say his name. Anyway, but Matt, he goes, dude. I was like, what? This is after the surfing. He goes, man. Your communion is like a funeral dirge. It's like the music and the way you presented it. You know, everybody moping around. Now, Dad, obviously, this is like any special meal. There's a sense of like, wow, we're privileged, humble. But it's, it's joyful, right? Like, take it in. This is one of the signs you'll know that you've eaten the Lord's table. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So one of the ways you'll know, am I taking in grace? Do you have hope? Do you have some joy after you take this table? Okay, last thing. Um, and, I met, and that is because, I, I want to say this because this is a practical question. Uh, we'll talk about this maybe more next week, but you know the way we understand the table, it's not magical. You know, it isn't like uh, this magically turns into Jesus' body and blood. When Jesus said, this is my body, he wasn't talking to the elements. He was talking to his disciples when he said that. Um, it's not, though, just the other side where it's just kind of like a memorial thing where there's nothing. The host is present. Jesus is present. So we, Paul calls it in Corinthians, a spiritual participation. Now, everybody that belongs in Christ, we say, come to the table. But I, I want to put this plug in. If you, have, if you have never received the first wonderful sacrament, we would love to talk with you about that because it really does like precede this one. It's the initiating sacrament. And in the meantime, we'd be glad to say we've done this for years. Like if someone's like, hey, I ain't a member, I've never been baptized, doesn't mean we don't want you to come to the table, but we'd love to have a conversation with you. You know, as elders that have to oversee the table, you'll hear Mike do this, right? It, it, it is the table of Christ. It's a participation. But the last thing is, I said, come hungry, eat well, is pass the plate. And this time I don't mean money. Uh, now, we don't pass the plate here, but the point is this. As we eat this meal, one of the signs we'll know that we're eating a graceful meal is you'll start to look around the other people in the body and go, you got to taste some of this. Now we do this. You got you to have some of this. And it won't be just your normal people because your eyes will have opened up and you're like, I, whatever grace looks like, I, I want this person who I normally wouldn't connect with, I, I want to share grace with you. Pass the plate. This is what it means when Paul says, test your attitude. He's talking about test your attitude about the body. And that's not just, am I like a louse? Yeah, of course I don't love people enough. It's test it with grace too. Like, do I feel like I can go and offer grace with that person? Yes, you can. Can I bring the good news to them? Um... 
the table looks different through the eyes of the gospel. The body looks different with the eyes of the gospel. Next week, we're going to talk about the anticipation that Jesus talks about. Because this is kind of the appetizer. But appetizers can be really good. Like, you know, happy hour, right? Happy hour can be good. This is happy hour. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your meal. Thank you for this significant gift you've given us. Lord, we so want to have you feed us, fill our hunger. I pray for everyone here that is in union with you. In Christ's name, amen.